2: Hi and welcome to Everything is Fine, a podcast for women over 40. We are your hosts. I'm Kim France. And I'm Jen Romolini. And we're answering listener questions today. You guys sent in some real pips and we are looking forward to addressing all of them with you.
1: Yes, super excited. It's kind of a holiday week. We thought this would be a good week to do kind of a mailbag And answer a bunch of questions we've been getting. So um, some of these come from a call out we did recently, and some of these have just been in our inboxes that we've been meaning to address and answer. So, all right, let's get into
2: it. Kim, I don't know where to begin. Well, let's just, let's begin at the beginning. And I will ask you this first question. Do you have childhood or younger life fantasies about who you were going to be and what you were going to do that remain unfulfilled? And what are we supposed to do with those? What do you think? I don't know
1: that I do have that many fantasies about who I was going to be and what I was going to do, which I think is part of what makes this part of life so hard. I feel like I have to kind of reset and set new goals. I kind of did what I wanted to do. I mean, certainly I'm not rich or anything, but I never really cared about being rich. But like I, you know, I met incredible people. I traveled to incredible places. I was in really, you know, rooms of immense power. I fell in love. I fell out of love. I had a child. Like I kind of did. I lived in a bunch of places. I kind of did the things I wanted to do. Um, And I think that for me, that's why midlife is... Particularly, I'm struggling because I need a new set of goals, fantasies, visions of who I want to be and what I want to do.
2: Now, it's one downside to knowing what you wanted to be, right? Yeah. You know, I, I I, mean, when I was young, young, like fifth grade, I wanted to be an actress. Like, I think that's probably a pretty common fifth grader fantasy. Totally. But But by the time I was like 14, 15, I knew I wanted to be a writer. I I loved magazines. I knew I wanted to have something to do with that world. And when you, it's a gift to have that clearer vision when you're younger. But when you get a little older, it can be a little, um, a little confusing. Yes. Or, you know. Well, especially
1: because what we wanted to do, I mean, and you were instrumental for me knowing what I wanted to do because I read Sassy and I said, that's what I want to do. And I did it. And what happened to us was we did it and our the career that we
2: both wanted went away. It just went away, which is, you know, don't recommend that no. experience. <laughs> Having your field disappear. But you know what I did? what um on saturday i bought a pile of magazines okay amazing and i bought a pile of magazines um they're just still sitting on my coffee table (laughs) i haven't looked at them but we went to this great newsstand in in the west village casa magazines Mm -hmm. and um i was just i i was reminded of how great that felt to like get a pile of magazines and have this huge pile of magazines cost only $25 or whatever. But I'm, I'm, I'm digressing. No, but Um, also I find them
1: disappointing. No, I find magazines to be thin and disappointing. They're not as well staffed. They're not as thought out. I find them to be disappointing. They're like, it's just like, I'm done with them. They used to take a long time to get through. And now I'm done with them in like 10 minutes. Anyway, sorry. We could go off on this forever. Um,
2: And and ever, and
1: ever, and ever, and ever. Okay. Um, okay, next question. Next listener question.
2: Why does dating at this age suck so badly? Where to begin? <laughs> <laughs> Where to begin? <laughs> it, it sucks so badly because not all men, but many men are not looking to date women their age. Um, it sucks so badly because we can't believe we're still doing this. And it sucks so badly because dating can be fun, but dating can be kind of demoralizing and, and, and dating on the apps can, I um, can be, you know, the thing about dating on the apps that I had a hard time getting used to was that you have no context for somebody. You didn't meet them at a party. You don't have a mutual friend. You know, I, I have ended up having mutual acquaintances at least with a number of people I've met online. but um, that's really weird so it feels risky in a way that dating didn't feel i i you know i mean i i am here to say that like you can find what you're looking for but it's really fucking hard and a numbers game you know right. the more dates you go on the more likely you are to meet somebody and and who wants to hear that Ugh. you know I guess my question is, and one
1: thing I think we can do at this stage of life is like put like, it sucks at this age, right? It sucks. This is bad. When things kind of always sucked, right? (laughs) I don't think dating, when I was briefly on apps, when I was in my late 20s, I didn't find dating to be that great then. And I was hot. And I like, and I thought it sucked and I had a hard time connecting with men or you'd show up and be like, oh, you're not anything like the thing that you said. Are you going to yeah. walk with them? You get a drink with them. Like I found it to not be great then and feel kind of hollow and sad. So I think dating always sucks. And then, you know, of course there's part of it that is getting older and that men are,
2: you know, men are terrible.
1: Not all men. Many, many,
2: many men are terrible, and many men who you meet when you're dating in a city like New York just try to get away with everything they can, and what they can get away with, unfortunately, is a lot. Yeah, yeah, a lot of the time, and it, you know, I mean, I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a coincidence that the person I finally met wasn't a New York man.
1: Right.
2: You know, I I I think there are decent single men in New York, there have to be, but yeah. I did not encou- I did not encounter a lot of them. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So that's what I say, why is dating so hard at this age? Because maybe because dating was always hard as Rommelini said, and maybe because it it does kind of suck to be this age and be dating.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah and you know it's like also anytime you're like craving something i mean that's like a basic like principle of like buddhism anytime you're like craving something and looking for something and seeking something it's always it's often it's often unpleasant and unsatisfying You know, it's, Mm -hmm. it's the best, the best relationships we all know happen or the best not relationships, but often the situations that happen are when the best situations happen when you're least expecting them, when it's just like, Oh, okay. I feel in a
2: pretty good place right now. You know? Yeah. 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 No, it's true. Although, you know, I have to say like, I hear women say, and we've had women on the podcast who've said like, I don't care if I'm never in another serious relationship i'm very happy on my own um i knew i wanted to find somebody right you know and i think this narrative that it comes when you're not looking for it or isn't fair in the same way that you think like the wellness industry isn't fair because it kind of puts a, a the blame on you right.
1: for wanting it. No, yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. Here's the thing: I have no business talking about this. I'm not <laughs> been dating in in literally seventeen. No, longer because I was in a relationship before that to almost twenty years. So yeah. I have no business talking about dating. So on that note,
2: let's go into the next question. Okay. Uh, you want me to read it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. I'll read it. Okay, who is your dream guest for a future Everything is Fine episode? You want to go first? Well, I have two. I mean, I've said before Monica Lewinsky Mm -hmm. would be my dream guest, but I think I would rather have Pamela Adlon on even more.
1: I would like to have Pamela Adlon on, yes. Yes. And I just realized I'm going to echo something that turned out to be a little bit of a disaster in our in our previous professional endeavors, because <laughs> I would really like to have Parker Posey on. And <laughs> I begged you to put Parker Posey. I don't know if you remember this. I begged you to put Parker Posey on the lucky cover. Begged. I was like, I just want to interview Parker Posey. I love Parker Posey. And Parker Posey came up and it was offered to us. And you were like, okay, Romelini, I'll get to Parker Posey. And the cover tanked. Do you remember this? <laughs> <laughs> like like yeah. it was just a, it was just a fucking mess. But yeah, I I did.
2: Well, I did something like that at New York Magazine when they had a fashion feature, um, and they were showing all the clothes on people who starred in Fox sitcoms okay and um so for lisa simpson they had an illustration of lisa simpson done by simpson's illustrators wearing a Marc jacobs outfit and when i was at new york magazine i was like we have to put this on the cover it's so cool it's so cool and i think that my nagging was maybe a small factor in why they did because i wouldn't shut up about it and it tanked of course a cartoon illustration on a fashion cover I mean, it could have done well. Parker Posey could have done well. <laughs> like, the- when, I became, when I became a boss was when I realized I would never again to say to anybody, it would be so cool. Because often <laughs> the things that are cool like don't sell.
1: No, it's true. It's true. It's true because they don't have mass appeal. They don't have mass. You're like little weird things that you love do not have mass appeal. There are lots of people that I want to have on. I want to have Samantha Irby back on. Mm -hmm. That is also a a dream. Basically, I don't have, and maybe this is the wrong way to think, but I don't have aspirations to have like, I want to have people on that I think we can have a great conversation with. And sometimes the bigger the person is, the more rehearsed they are. Yep. And the less you're able to sort of get in there with them. And I only am interested in people who I can have a really frank and honest conversation with about getting older.
2: And no, I agree. Yeah. I agree. And I think we're both thinking about one episode in particular that we were disappointed by because the person just stuck so close to script. Yeah. Up, you know, even my mom was like, yeah, I hated that episode. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Even my mom. Uh, OK, next question. What was your best decision?
1: I have two two best decisions of my life um leaving my first husband and moving to New York. Two best decisions of my life I mean, and going back to school and and moving to new york like the whole the whole chain of events that got me into New York, like not just accepting my life as a college dropout in a small town, Pennsylvania, married to a guy who was not the love of my life. Let's say that. (laughs)
2: Had a big soul patch. (laughs) Oh my God. Um, well, I would say my first best decision was begging my mother to let me go to boarding school when I was 16 years old because I was so unhappy growing up in Houston and living in my neighborhood. And, um, The fact that like she let me do that and leave home, which I think couldn't have felt great for her was, that was my best, that was my best decision. And then also leaving my ex-husband, quality decision. Yeah. Quality decision, hard decisions to make, really hard decision to make. But because I remember thinking like, I don't love this person anymore. I don't even like this person anymore, but I may just still need this person. Yeah. Yeah. It's a but, yucky feeling.
1: There was so much shame around it for me. You know, we got married in the Catholic church. Everyone was Catholic. It was like a big deal. Um, I had already failed a bunch of times. Like I had already dropped out of college, failed out of college. I, My parents had paid for this wedding and then they were going to, you know, just lost all this money. And I had no prospects. I had nothing. I could, I still can't believe that I did it, but I'm so glad that I... So fucking
2: glad that I did. Jesus. Don't Christ. you find don't you find that like because that was very brave of you. It was very brave of you to do all the stuff you did to leave to leave where you came from and 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 follow a vision that you had. Yeah. And I always think like when people tell me in my life about times in my life when they think I've been brave, those are all the times I felt like I had zero options. Like I had to do the thing I did. And I'm sure it was the same with you. You just had to change your circumstances.
1: Totally. Totally. It gets harder though. I was young. You know, I was young. It gets harder, one, to have a vision for yourself and two, to be brave in that way. I think because, because yes, there's, well, there's more at stake, right? There's, it feels like
2: there's more at stake. And what were you going to say? Life what? Well, I mean, when you're young and you're taking risks, you don't have like a long track record of your risks failing or things going wrong. You get older, like you've seen it go both ways.
1: Yeah. Yeah, totally. Totally. And you're also like, well, how many more, you know, how many more rabbits do I have in this hat? You (laughs) know, like that, it feels like that a lot, you know, but those big swings really, I mean. I think for you, for me, those big swings have brought the most joy in my life, the most fulfillment, the most satisfaction. And I would say that not taking them, like for both of us, when we both knew we needed to quit a job that was killing both of us, I mean, Mm -hmm. different jobs, but we both had jobs that, and instead we both got fired and had to have the decision made for us. Like that was a big swing that I wish I would have, I wish I would have never taken that job. Because I knew I didn't want it, but I took it out of fear because I thought that
2: I should take it and it looked so good on paper. I feel like I would have loved if I had the nerve to leave Lucky when it was on top. Yeah. Like the year it got Magazine of the Year. Like that would have been, that was my fantasy. But it's very hard. It's very hard for a lot of reasons.
1: Anyway. I, I wish I had more courage. Anyway, go ahead. No. Biggest,
2: biggest regret.
1: <sighs> leaving the East coast.
2: Mm.
1: Biggest regret. I didn't think it out. I didn't, I've been here 10 years now. I still feel like a fish out of water and it's not like wow. leaving New York. It's not like, Oh, I wish I would have la-, like, the thing is it's really hard to move back. You know, I hadn't yeah. calculated that in that. I was, I had a one and a half year old child that I was going to, you know, build a life for them somewhere else, that it was going to be much harder, put down roots. There was going to be much harder to move back. And also it's, people don't move back to New York. Yeah. They move back to California a lot. They move back to California a lot. And the thing is, it's so weird to be in a place that everybody loves and to know objectively that it's a lovely place and to just be like, oh, I don't feel at home here. And I'll never, I'll probably never feel at home here. What a weird, what a weird fucking thing. And then to feel like, oh, I'm ungrateful. It's so beautiful. It's fucking paradise. Why don't you like paradise? (laughs) You know, (laughs) what's wrong with you? What's wrong with me? Like I should have just fucking moved to Jersey. Everybody was moving to Jersey. I should have just been like, fine, Maplewood. I surrender to you.
2: (laughs) Maplewood. (laughs) So funny. How about you? Biggest regret. Well, I mean, getting married was my biggest regret. Marrying the person I married—that's my biggest regret. Um, Not leaving Lucky when it was on top, like we just talked about—that's another regret. Um. And yeah, those are the big ones. Yeah, those are the big ones. You know, I don't. I don't regret not finishing my book. I know that's another question on this list, you know, and then mm-hmm. I, I, I returned my advance, um, and decided that wasn't a book I wanted out in the world. Um, and I don't regret that. I mean, cause I was thinking, do you regret that? And I'm like, no, I'm, I'm fucking happy about that. No, I think that was a brave,
1: I think that was actually a brave decision. I actually, um, I was reading an old interview with Mary Carr, Um, Mm -hmm. in the Paris review and she was talking about how, how overwhelming emotionally it is to write a memoir. And like, it's just that she would, she would be writing and she would like feel like while she was writing her memoirs that she had like chronic fatigue syndrome, like, Mm -hmm. especially like the childhood ones. Childhood One, Liars Club, that she would need to like lie down for an hour and a half, like just out of nowhere and like kept going to doctors and like nothing was wrong with her, which, you know, of course, but I'm like, oh, (laughs) (laughs) but yeah, no, writing about yourself is kind of disgusting in a way, you know, it's kind of gross. It's just like, why is this relevant? How do I make this relevant? And I, you know- being on the other side of that, I feel like you've made a really good call, particularly for that book.
2: I think you will write a book, but I think that that was such a good decision for you. Thank you. I agree. Okay. Um, I like this question. Have yes. you ever been devastated by something a close friend did? Well, we yeah. both have.
1: Yes. Um, yeah. Um. P- do you want to go
2: first? <laughs> I'm just trying to decide how much I want to say, because if I talk about the friend who really most recently, even though it was a little while ago, really devastated me would be to identify that person. Right. Right. Um, I found myself in a situation that many around me remarked on the all about evenness of. Um helping out somebody who stood on my shoulders and easily surpassed me, um, and then forgot about me. Um, cause I can no longer do anything to help. That was really devastating because I thought it was a real friendship. And what I came to realize is that this was a person who truly loved me, but Truly loved me because of what I could do for her. Um, and I found that devastating. That friend breakup was as painful as any romantic breakup I've had. You? Oh, um, I mean, I still think of
1: this person every single day. I look at their Instagram almost every day. Um, so I have a friend. I had a friend since I was really young, like in my teens. And the friend just kind of treated me badly, like my whole life, you know, like it was, it was a man. um, He's gay. And he just, every time I saw him, he was like, Jen, your hair. Like there was just a lot of like, you know, I, I, I brought a boyfriend with me who I was in love with, who was a very unlikely boyfriend for me, but I brought a boyfriend with me um, from New York to visit him. And he like pulled me outside to smoke a cigarette. And he was like, this guy is disgusting. Like, mm-hmm. seriously, if you, if you marry him, I, um, I, I won't come to the wedding. He's disgusting. And like, it was just years and years of abuse, but it was a 30 year friendship. Like that's like family. It was familial. And I had like a last straw where his sister invited me to his, her wedding and he kind of disinvited me because he thought that I would not, he thought that I would, I might get drunk and make a scene. And, you know, it was like a whole thing. Well, can you promise me you won't make a scene? And it was just so, I, I eventually reached a point where I was like, I'm not, maybe I used to be a mess and you're still treating me like a mess. Or maybe you should have never treated me like this at all, but this friendship doesn't work anymore. And it was and really painful. Did you say that to him? Did you have an actual, like, come to Jesus? No, I was much more juvenile about it. Like I um, I was much more juvenile about it. And this was only a couple of years ago. And I really, um, I like popped off like on an email because I saw like another friend of ours from high school was at this wedding and I like freaked out and I was like, fuck off, fuck you. And I really like, I really lost it. And I don't know what the right thing is there. It's just that it was such a complicated friendship and that I was really holding on to for a long time. And not not saying the things I needed to say, not advocating for myself, not showing up appropriately, like not saying, Hey, I can't talk to you every day. This isn't appropriate for my life. You know, Mm -hmm. he was a single person and, you know, didn't understand the complex. like a lot of like, you know, sometimes when you're, you're single, you're still partying, you're having a great time and the other person's not. And I was becoming like a, you know, sort of like a, a, a wet rag, I think, or whatever that phrase is. But I was like becoming boring to him, but then I would go out and like drink and smoke cigarettes with him and just feel horrible the next day. And like, I'd wasted my time. So the friendship was really just growing apart. And I was just trying so hard to keep it from not going away. Cause it, it felt so important to me, but anyway, I did not handle it well and I regret it. And I still think about him all the time.
2: That's tough. Yeah, that's tough. I have a male friend who I, I I, who stopped being my friend, too, who I thought was not nice to me, and I finally wrote him an email and said like, I feel like you don't like me. Do you like me? Right. Right. And I never heard from him again. And the thing is, that's the reason I, and I'm
1: sorry that that happened to you. And the reason I never said that was because I knew, because I had tried to say things like that and they'd been so dismissed and so poo-pooed and, oh, come on, don't be so dramatic. And, oh, come on. And it was just like, you know, but I still, I don't feel like I handled it well and I don't feel like it ended well. And also it's just fucking tough to throw out 30 years of friendship. It's just like a it very is. tough thing.
2: It is. We've talked about this before and I don't. I don't, unless a person is really toxic, really toxic and really affecting your happiness or productivity or, you know, health on a, you know, on a regular basis, it's just better not to dump someone.
1: No, it is. It is better if you can just like keep it in some, in the ether somehow, but I didn't know how to do it. So anyway, um, moving on from that one, because that is a fucking
2: fuck, fuck load of emotion. Cause that's a bummer. Yeah. Okay, bi- biggest insult you have personally personally heard, more importantly, the best comeback.
1: I did not have a comeback for this, but somebody who I consider a fucking friend said to me, like when I was trying to figure out a couple of years ago how to like restart my writing, like I was just kind of stuck in writing. And I was like, oh God, I don't know how what to write about. And, and this person was like, I don't know. Write about write about how your husband is like a better and more famous writer than you are.
2: <laughs> Unbelievable! Fucking shit, man. Um, yeah, and I had no, I had no comeback. You? I'm thinking about it. Like I, I I I'm thinking what is the most insulting thing that anyone ever said? And I guess maybe it was a comment. It was a comment. I wrote that piece about. Um, Condé Nast Holiday Lunch, which you mm-hmm. can read on me- Medium if you're interested. and It's a great piece. Um, it, thank you. It's about the holiday lunch, which was a big event every year. And it's also about my depression. And somebody wrote in the comments, Lucky Magazine was pr- like subliterate, drivel, blah, 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 blah. No wonder Kim France was depressed when she looked in the mirror.
1: I mean, look—the fucking comments. The comments
2: are—I
1: like, know—you cannot.
2: You cannot, you cannot just, read
1: the comments. So you, I know. I
2: mean, I know. I know. They'll hurt
1: you forever. That because people just don't. People don't care. People don't think. It's just a knee jerk. Like I want to get some of this bad feeling inside me out oh, in <laughs> characters. <laughs>
2: I'm sorry. Oh, that's okay. It's okay. It was fine. Okay. Okay. Um, Off the bummers. Off the bummers. Okay. Best way to dress when you have multiple chins or a saggy neck. I mean, Romolini just wears about a lot of turtlenecks. You don't have either of those. I types, have a super. I, I, I have a that- super saggy neck.
1: Don't even. Do not even. I was today. Do I was trying. No, I? you don't. You do not have a saggy neck because that's not what's happening to you, and it's fine. That's my thing. <laughs> Whatever. Saggy, 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 eyelid. Saggy neck. Um turtlenecks, a black turtleneck with like a necklace over top of just go the Diane Keaton route. There's a certain point where Diane Keaton is just like, fuck it. I'm wearing gloves for my old hands. I'm wearing turtlenecks <laughs> for my old neck. And the way she dresses just starts to make sense to you in your 40s. Turtlenecks, man. Turtlenecks are the thing. And they look good. They look good under blazers. They look under under sweaters. They look good. They look good. My opinion. Okay. No,
2: and and, and and a good pen. I have nothing to add to this one. All right. I don't know. I'm probably doing all the wrong things. Um, well, you don't okay. have this problem. If you had this problem, you would be solving it. True, true. Okay, here's a funny question. Why do people get French manicures on their toes? <laughs>
1: I Have you ever had a French manicure?
2: I am... Um... Okay, my second, my first regret was marrying my ex husband. My second regret was that the day we got married, I had a French manicure. No. (laughs) I was like, I don't know. I was like, oh, well, go get that. That's fancy. (laughs) Oh my God. I love you so
1: much. I love it. I love that you had a French manicure on your day of your wedding. I mean, of course, it was cursed. I mean look, god love people who get a french manicure. Like if you love a french manicure, get a french manicure. I I think it's because people think it looks fancy. I think you you hit it already. Like I think people think it looks fancy on their toes. And you know, god love them if they if they like
2: it. Yep. Yep. No, yeah. I got, I, yeah. Go for it. I like like a French,
1: I like a French manicure with this. Sorry to interrupt you, but I like a French manicure with a different color. Like I like a black French manicure. Yep. 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 Or maybe some nice, um, pink. Yes. Blue. I like a blue, like a Navy blue French manicure. I think looks cute. So yes. Yes. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's because they think it looks fancy or they think it looks sexy. They think men like it. I think that people think that men like a French manicure. I think maybe it's in porn. I don't know.
2: (laughs) Who knows? Who knows? Okay. How are we supposed to shop for furniture or even understand what to buy? I find this, I, I, I related to this question. I do too. I do too. As a person who just bought and sent
1: back one of those modular sofas which was a nightmare they the video on this fucking website showed a pregnant woman putting this thing this sofa together okay (laughs) like this is how easy it is to assemble it took my husband and I four hours to put it together and we were trying to model like good behavior for our child but so not cursing at each other and being like no (laughs) just obviously flip this piece over (laughs) Darling. <laughs> exactly. Sweetheart. <laughs> you know? Um, And it was way too, it was like hard to measure. It was way too big for my house to mention. Like it wasn't like the length, but it was just like the bulk of it. So I don't know. I'm having, I had a good time. I just bought some dining room chairs, from article I liked a lot, but I don't know. I don't know. This is out of my depth this is out of my depth. Like I mean, West Elm is supposedly all shit, but is it, I don't
2: know. Yeah. There was actually like a whole, I, I think like a McSweeney's piece about like this one particular West Elm sofa. That's was like the biggest piece of crap that yes. everyone bought. Yes. I don't remember. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, I bought one of those modular sofas also. Mm-hmm. Um, because nothing else would fit. My old sofa wouldn't fit through my door when I moved in here. Okay. And I'm happy enough with it. But I also, I called TaskRabbit and had somebody put it together.
1: That was my old way. My old way was just calling everybody to do things. And now I'm just like, I'm going to do everything myself. Like some weird, like, I don't know, homesteader. That's not the right word. But like, I'm just like, oh, let's all do it ourselves. We're showing our kid. <laughs> and I'm so much less happy now. I just want somebody to fucking do all this shit for me. Um, I get it. I don't know how to buy furniture. I've had some good luck buying vintage furniture. Um, I've had some good luck even on eBay and like locally buying vintage furniture. And I do have a good time when I follow wire cutter. I do find wire cutter is useful for right. all, all kinds of things that you have. Like I bought a mattress um, that I love that was um, a wire cutter recommendation
2: good to know that's good to know
0: and now let's take a quick break for some ads flexibility is great that's why there's yoga flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too that's why there's united healthcare insurance plans Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com.
1: Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear, and t shirts are super soft. Support for Everything is Fine comes from Ritual. So I love Ritual. Everyone knows I love Ritual. I talk about Ritual all the time. I particularly love its daily, their daily multivitamin, and I also really have been enjoying their melatonin. But the thing I love most about Ritual is their Hyacera. It's a once daily skin supplement that's clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. In a clinical study, Hyacera led to 3.6 times reduction in crow's feet wrinkles within 90 days as compared to a placebo. Hyacera led to 2.9 times increase in skin smoothness within 90 days as compared to a placebo. You can enhance your skincare routine from the inside out with one daily capsule essenced with soothing vanilla. I love Hyacera. It's been rigorously tested and validated. It's one of the industry-leading sustainability. It it meets, sorry, all of the industry-leading sustainability standards. You know I'm a beauty editor now. I am all about keeping my face plump, and Hyacera absolutely has done that for me. I've been on it for months. I don't even know how long, and I can really see a difference in the texture of my skin. My skin looks percent off
2: and we're back okay you ready for the next one yes talk a little about the sensation I have come to recognize in midlife as feeling like I know both exactly what the fuck to do creatively policy whatever and also like I know absolutely jack shit it's a dizzying twist of the telescope and I don't think it's uncommon number one I applaud your cursing questioner (laughs) You're clearly one of ours. <laughs> uh, yes. and yeah. Listen, doesn't everybody feel that way all the time? Did you ever feel like you knew what you were doing? I guess that's the question. Did I ever feel like I knew what I was doing? Yeah. I think sometimes when I was young, I was wrong. Yes. The confidence of ignorance. The confidence of ignorance. As my former boss Um, James Truman used to call it the unearned arrogance of the Vogue intern. Oh,
1: wow. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. That's so perfect. Oh my God. Um, Yes, I do think. I think there's a connection between self-understanding and self-awareness and feeling like you don't know what you're doing. I do, Mm -hmm. I do think that because I think that there was a time in my thirties where I was like, yeah, I got this together. I am even my early forties. I like, I understood here's the path. I'm just following the path. Here we go. And then part of it is because the path didn't make me happy. Like the end result of the path that I was on didn't, didn't bring me what I thought it was going to bring. So now you're kind of at the beginning again, which is how I feel at the beginning again.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I always think about it. And maybe I've said this before on the show. Like you watch a toddler learn to walk, or however that old they are yes. when they learn to walk. Yes, they fall down, they laugh, they get up. You see an adult who has to learn to walk again for whatever reason, and it's just torture. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: I and I've said this before, but I'll say it again. I don't know anymore where the I felt like. And I think this is, this is cultural. I feel like the culture when you're younger makes you feel a sense of belonging because the culture is for you, right? Mm -hmm. The fashion is for you. Everything like the majority of shit is for you. So you just feel like you're living a life in the world that's supposed to be for you. Mm -hmm. And as you get a little bit older, I think that has to be more self-generated that sense of belonging. Um, yep. And I, I think that that's, that's a big part of this. Um, I, I do feel like I both know exactly what the fuck to do. And also like, I know absolutely jack shit. I
2: really do think that. And I guess that's, I think that's good. I, I think it is good. I think it is good because it is about self-awareness and it is about, you know, not having unearned confidence and knowing what you don't know i've always really believed that it is a power move to acknowledge what you don't know right and I don't think that's something that comes to people when they're young. I think that like living with that duality, I both know exactly what to do and don't know what the fuck to do is is actually a pretty grown-up thing to acknowledge about yourself.
1: Yeah. No, you're right. You're absolutely right. That's 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 exactly right. And that's just life, right? Because that's just life. We yeah. don't we don't there's so much shit we don't know. That's just it. Yep. Um Yep. Okay. Do you want me so? Oh, this Here, is a want- really, this is, go ahead. You want to do it? No, you go, you go. Okay. This is a really good question. I worked in the magazine industry in the late nineties, early two thousands. I often think about how I worked for multiple women who didn't really know how to mentor their assistants, most likely because they weren't mentored themselves. Instead, we have a cult, we had a culture of sink or swim, which resulted in lots of tears in the back stairwell and many overtime hours. So my question is for Kim, if you had to do it all over again at Lucky, what changes would you have instilled in your office culture to promote a healthier work environment?
2: Why do I get the feeling this was written by somebody who worked at Lucky
1: with us? I have. I don't know. I don't think it was. I don't think it was. I saw the, pro, I mean, I, I don't think it
2: was. I don't know. Well, I was only kind yeah. of kid. <laughs> um, I did a lot of totally trusting my department heads to run their departments and i think that i would have been a little more hands-on because i think that within those departments there was behavior that i didn't like and i didn't find out about it till much later so i think that that's something i would have done i played favorites a lot and i guess that's probably not good i mean i think in some ways, playing favorites is good because it makes people want to be the person you're liking. Well, I think but, it's just human to play favorites, honestly. Yeah, no, it is. But I remember somebody saying that like, the word on me was that if you were one of my people, you were fine. But if you weren't one of my people, that was something you didn't want to be. And I, I can see where that would not be ideal. Um, You know, I would never have put my staff through what they went through during the year when I was not well, you know, I would have done that there were a a thousand abuses during that year. And then I feel horrible about that and always will. Why? I feel like I'm missing one. What am I missing?
1: No, I don't think that's, I mean, look, I think that the year that you were not well was actually in some ways there were a lot of opportunities because everything was kind of, you know, messy. There were a lot of opportunities Mm -hmm. and a lot of people stepped up that year. And I think that, we got to do a lot of creative things and sort of above what we would have done normally because of that. Like I ran, you know, there was because our... I was like whimpering in a corner in yeah. my office. Well, yeah, I mean, I ran, I ran a whole, I've I edited a whole issue of the magazine because our executive editor was on on uh, like her on her honeymoon. Like I edited a whole episode, whole issue of the magazine, which I'll never forget. I've said this before. I had Molly Sims saying that she loved to run in these heels. And they had swapped out the heels at the last minute and they were like six inch heels. And it was like, (laughs) oh, fuck. Um, I think that your, your sensibility was what everybody wanted. And I think everybody wanted more access to you. And I think that a lot of your department heads, not all of them, not uniformly, but they were not anywhere near as talented as you were as an editor, their instincts were not as good and they were not, they were not as good as an editor. And that's what people were looking for was guidance, editorial guidance. And because it was a magazine where the words didn't necessarily matter, but they mattered very much to you. There was a real disconnect there was a real disconnect because the people you hired in these positions had to know fashion and they also had to be like supported by like the Condé Nast ethos. So it was a, it was a disconnect because you were not like them and to be managed by anyone that was not you was very, a very subpar experience. And I think that if I had to rewrite that for you, I would have said, more access to you, which you would have enjoyed more. Like I'm having weekly meetings, everybody all people at this level and above get a weekly meeting with me, even if it's 20 minutes Mm -hmm. and you would have enjoyed that much more. And you sent some of these other people out on some of the bullshit you hated.
2: Well, I certainly did that.
1: Right. I know. But I think that you would have been happier being more engaged in the day to day, which you actually really were great at and enjoyed. But what would mm-hmm. happen is the thing you were so great at, you would get these huge stacks of pages that you could barely get through. But when you got through them, it was amazing. We all wanted your
2: feedback.
1: Right. You know? Right. So I think that if, if I had to go back, that's what I would say. That if I was your assistant at the time, or if I was like partnering with you,
2: I would have said, okay, people need more access to you. Do you know what I would have done if I had to do it over again? I would do what Bonnie Fuller did at Glamour, yeah. which is she didn't She didn't sit in her like big, lonely corner office that's sort of separated from everyone else. She had a cubicle right in the middle of whatever they called it there, like the pen, whatever yeah. the, the word for it was at Glamour. Yeah. And and she, you know, say what you will about her. She, you know, not everybody's favorite editor, but that was a way, that was a really much better way of allowing access. Yeah, that
1: was it. I think people needed access too, because I think that, you know, you and Andrea were both such creative machines. And, you know, you know, that you were incredibly talented. Anytime I got you or Andrea, it was like, okay, this makes total sense to me. I get it. But it was like not always that case, you know, so it was it was it was fucking annoying. But, you know, but (laughs) I came there to work for you. And I'm glad that I did because I did ultimately get enough of access from you. And I've said this before, and I said it in my book, I learned more from you as an editor than I learned from anybody. Thank you, dear. I love when you say that. Well, it's it's true. It's true. Um, it was very nice to have had a vision, to bring it back to earlier in the episode, to have a vision of mine born out and to have you live up in so many ways to what I wanted you to be. Oh thanks, Romelini. You're welcome. So it
2: wasn't all bad. That was a That's tough good. job. That was a fucking tough job. You know what? The day I was fired, our publicist, the magazine's publicist, came into my office And she just said, Kim, it was a rough ride. And I just burst into tears because that's what it was. You know, 15% the best thing that ever happened to me and 85% the worst thing that ever happened to me.
1: Well, I mean, being an unlikely choice for a job, which you were, means that you were going to be great and bring all kinds of originality and all kinds of like out of the box things to the job. But also
2: always feel not right in the job and that's what it took it took and especially with lucky cuz lucky was a magazine that was born out of a deep suspicion of the fashion world but i had to be in the fashion world at least some of the time in order to do my job yeah and and that was a drag and people didn't have a lot of respect for me and 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 you know i don't know how that could have changed but it was it was there there was a built-in unhappiness factor to having that job because of having to exist around I'll, people and things i didn't like i'll also say and this was not this was the culture of magazines at
1: the time the hours were fucking ridiculous during closes yeah. they were fucking ridiculous i remember and i got brought into hr for this but I remember being so pissed off. I was one of the only editors. I think it was the most senior editor still there. It was like 4th of July. It was the day before 4th of July. And we were closing an, an issue. And I went in to like the copy and research people. And I'm like, I'm fucking letting the staff go fucking home. This is fucking ridiculous. And, um, <laughs> I, uh, and, uh, and then I went out and I left. And I, I told everybody to go home. It was a big fucking thing. And I went out and I went down to the East Village. I bought a bong and I sat on my stoop and I smoked <laughs> fucking like 18 bong hits. <laughs> like, that's hilarious. Smoking bong hits the whole 4th of July. But yeah, we should have we should have thought more about like work-life balance for sure.
2: Yeah. And that's something, like I said, if I had been more involved in like involved in all the departments I would have recognized that our closes were like late and toxic and everything yeah
1: yeah and like like somebody needed to say it's just a fucking magazine it's fine let it go it's fine it's
2: fine this is okay we did fine You know, like, Like and like Ed Wood, when Ed Wood would be like, ah, that seems good enough. Exactly. Yeah. We needed,
1: we needed to have a little more of that, but there was so much pressure. It was like, you know, there was, there was just, there was so much
2: pressure everywhere. Oh, so much pressure. So So much much pressure. pressure. So much pressure. Um, okay. Okay. Are we ready for the next one? I'm ready. Okay. You go.
1: Um, okay. I'm going to save all our favorites till the very end. okay? Okay. So, okay. Um, have it, how to navigate the world of affairs, divorce, and sexual awakening in your forties. I mean, I don't know if this person is asking like how to how to handle affairs yourself. I had an affair in my first marriage. I don't recommend it. I think it's a real fucking disaster, I uh, will never do it again because it's a messy.
2: Um, but I wouldn't have. I, but, yeah. but 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 was it an affair that allowed you to leave your marriage? Yes. So it did have a function. It had a
1: function. It had a function, but I think it's so much better to leave things clean. Yeah. I didn't need, no. I didn't need to, I didn't need to hurt him as bad as I hurt him to yeah. get out of it. I,
2: I had an affair that helped me get out of my marriage and they have, a, it happens so often there's a phrase for it. It's called the exit affair. Mm. Um, and ideally I would have had the strength and wherewithal to leave without having had an affair, but I was coming off of the, maybe the worst year of my life. And I knew that one thing I needed to do to get happier was not be in my marriage anymore. And meeting someone else made that easier, just made it easier. I, I wish I'd been able to do it without doing that, but I'm really grateful to that man. I mean, I'm really grateful to him for like, you know, helping me get out. Yeah. I mean, look,
1: I think that, I think that the, uh, no knock actually on the connection you can have in the affair. Like, I actually think that it can be really, um especially if you're feeling so down about yourself and you're just feeling like so Mm -hmm. unappealing because the end of a marriage, you just feel like such garbage, right? Just such unappealing garbage. I just feel like if you can avoid it and you can, you can, you can leave without deception. If you can leave without deception, it's, it's probably better, particularly if you have kids, I think, you know, I'm sure. Um that's what I think. And in terms of navigating the world of affairs and divorce and everything with your friends and your peer group, I just think you show up, you listen, you do like you would with any crisis. You show up, you show compassion, you try not to be judgmental. Yeah. You don't give advice unless
2: explicitly asked and even then you tread carefully. Yeah, especially if people are giving you advice about whether or not to leave the person they're with. My god. Yep. Don't say anything. Don't say anything that you would not want to take, like have to take back.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of listening, you know, I had a, I had a friend who was um, sleeping with a married man a couple years ago and it was like, you know, I don't know. I don't know what should I do. Um, And I was like, well, you know, you're in a risky situation if you're really attached to this person. You know, and if you have an expectation of this turning into something, because even if he does leave his wife, you have the he's newly left his wife and you have the baggage of that
2: situation. There's three of you involved in this, and you're also involved with somebody who's capable of leaving his wife for another woman. That's right. And you know what?
1: I'm glad I didn't say don't because they actually he disentangled from his wife in a fairly healthy way and they're still together. The, the, wow. my friend and him. Yeah. So, you know, you never know. And that's why you just never know. So you just
2: listen, you show compassion, you show kindness. And that's, that's the best you can do. Yeah. Now, if it's your affairs, divorce and sexual awakening, the sexual awakening, that's the one I'm thinking about like do i i can't say i had any kind of sexual awakening in my 40s but if you're talking about like having like having sex again after a while of not having sex
1: or discovering which, that you're sexy when you never thought you were sexy or something yeah feeling yeah. sexy for the first time perhaps you know or yep. discovering that you want to be with women or discovering like you have new, like sexual preferences you didn't know you had before. I think that happens a lot as we get older and we start to know each other, or our, we start to know ourselves better. Yep. Yep. Just give yourself grace. Give yourself grace. Give yourself kindness. Yep. You didn't kill, okay, you yeah. didn't kill anyone. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. okay. Do you want to wrap this up there? We have a bunch of questions about our favorites.
2: Okay. Should we do them one at a time and we'll, both, we'll just like power, we'll power round this. Is that what I'm trying to say? Yeah. Pow- I, pow- I think you're, I think it's like a, <laughs> you know what I'm trying to say? You know, know. But it's not power round, whatever. Oh, you know a, what I mean. light, lightning round. Lightning round. Thank yes. You. Lightning
1: round. Speed dating, lightning round, something like that. Speed round. Um, okay, but I have things to, I mean, yeah, we don't have to talk about it for long, but okay. Your favorite podcast, Kim
2: France, your favorite podcasts. Okay. Um, heavyweight, which is hosted by a guy named Jonathan Goldstein and is kind of, um, like he finds people looking for closure about any variety of things and then finds their closure. Um, I really love that one. I've been watching. I've been listening to the Ringers. I've mentioned it before. Binge watch on Game of Thrones, which is very amusing. Um, Everything is fine. Is of course the most important podcast for women over (laughs) forty. I concur. Um, And I liked. Oh, what was it called? The Baron of Botox. I think it was. It's an episodic um, podcast, or I don't know if I meant to say that. Um, It's a podcast. Um, about Dr. Brandt, who was a famous dermatologist in New York who killed himself and, oh, and then the other one I really like is the just enough family, Yes, which is definitely not for everybody, um, because it's all about class and privilege and, um, but it's about the family of Liz Lang, the maternity designer. Um, and it's hosted by Ariel Levy from the New Yorker and it's, it, I find it fascinating. So how about you? Um, I, for parenting, I have an
1: excellent parenting podcast that I listen to every week called Tilt Parenting. And it's for kids who are a little differently wired, who are struggling, who maybe have, um, learning struggles or neurodiverse nor or sort of anything, gifted kids. Um, I listen to that, Tilt Parenting. It's excellent. I, um, I really liked, um, really like maintenance phase which I've talked about before which is all about sort of you know dispelling the myths of the wellness industry there was a um, a podcast called relative fiction that I really liked that was um, oh god who what is her name it's uh, Nicole something she's like an amazing artist and this is this incredible story about her her parents and it's like a family family secret story and then I really like anything by Jamie Loftus. I like her ActCast podcast. I like her Mensa podcast. I like her Lolita podcast. Those are all Those are all kind of my favorites um, right now. And of course, I always listen to Design Matters. I think Debbie Millman is really good at what she does. Yeah. Um, oh, okay. and I listen to Code Switch. I forgot about Code Switch. Sorry, I'm looking at my list. Um, okay, go. Next one.
2: Okay. Favorite band.
1: This is like an impossible question, but I'll say for life, I'm Ani DeFranco for life. Um, and then recently I've been listening to the diggable planets. I've gone back to listening to diggable planets and fuck, man, that is a good mood. Like just some (laughs) diggable planets. I had not listened to diggable planets since college. I used to listen to my friend RJ and, just, just listen to them for hours and break down all the lyrics. And so I started the other night, I was like home alone for some reason. Alex had taken Charlotte to a concert and I just was listening to diggable planets all night. And I was so happy.
2: Not my favorite band, but it was, it was a nice moment. I get it. Well, my favorite band is Yola Tango. Okay. Which is like, as, as my boyfriend's son said, when he found out that was my favorite band of course it is. <laughs> of course it is. It's so predictable that Yolo Tango would be my favorite band.
0: Um,
2: I don't know. I don't know if I have a band of the moment. Um, okay. What about your favorite movie?
1: My favorite movies, like
2: you know i i
1: like i like this this movie this foreign film called black cat white cat is like my highbrow choice it's like this just amazing just look it up i'm not even going to explain it it's just so beautiful and incredible and it's joyous but my actual like and then you know i have other movies you know that i love like you know everybody's favorite movies sort of who knows But my actual favorite movie that I watch every single year is the fucking Family Stone that I watch on on Christmas Eve. It's not like my favorite movie. It's not an artistic achievement. It's not, you know, it's just a movie that I watch every year. And it's like a comfort food movie that I like very, very much.
2: Well... I have my movies, my two favorite movies are definitely not artistic achievements, yeah. but there are two movies that like make me super happy whenever I'm like in a mood. Mm-hmm. And that is um, fast times at Ridgemont high. Oh, good one. And this is spinal tap. Oh, also a good one. Also good one. Also those are the, those are my, like, those are my twin lions outside of the New York public library. Like my two.
1: Yeah. Those, solid, are, those are good ones. I mean, There's so, there's so many movies that I would watch if they were on, there's just like a, like we could do a whole episode about movies that you would watch if they were like, I would watch a few good men 4,000 times. I would never stop (laughs) watching a few good men. Like there's those, like they were
2: on a certain cable channel that I just watched so many times. Like 16 Candles, which is problematic today. 16 Candles definitely you know definitely would get canceled today but that was a pretty pretty dear movie in lots of ways and every time I see that on I stop for it
1: say anything say anything yep. was mine oh my god say anything Ione Sky Jesus Christ I mean John Cusack fine but like Ione Sky fuck she was amazing um yeah 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 I don't know I i you know I don't I do know my favorite movies, but it's such like a hard question to answer in some ways because there's so many.
2: Yeah. No, I have a lot. And I definitely have my favorite fancy movies, although I can't think of that. Yeah. I've like, I have my favorite fancy movies, you know, (laughs) um,
1: all right. So this should just be like favorite book right now, favorite
2: book right now, or favorite book ever, either way. Favorite book ever is American Pastoral by Philip Roth. Wow. Wow. I know Philip Roth and not the easiest writer to like. I mean he's a fantastic an amazing writer but he was a you know problematic human. So some of my favorite books geek love I love
1: a lot um, and recently I'm really into The Cost of Living by Deborah Levy. I can't stop thinking about it. There's a whole trilogy but Cost of Living is my favorite. I go back to Sam Irby a lot. Um, I go back to Sam Irby's books frequently. If I just want to read something that's totally going to make me laugh and also make me feel connected because I think Sam does a good job at talking about really heavy things in a, um, in a light way, which don't we all need that? Right.
2: You know, who is wonderful that way. And she died way before her time as Laurie Colwin.
1: Mm, I don't Laurie Colwin.
2: She she died in about eighty eight or so. I think age forty of a heart attack. Um, and she just wrote the most like beautiful life affirming books that made you happy. Like and that yeah. dealt with some difficult things, but that were just smart and that's always when people tell me they're like tired of reading depressing things. I'm always like Lori Cole.
1: I really liked Margaret Atwood's the edible woman that sort of helped me get out of my first marriage. I read that and I was like, Oh, I want, I want that. Um, I once dated an old man because he was Raymond Carver's editor. And I just had, I was <laughs> like, I'll have sex with you, old man, because I love Raymond Carver.
2: <laughs> Yeah, I think that guy got over on
1: that. A lot. Yeah, I think he did too. We called him Ray, and I was like, "Oh, I'm in. That's it. It's just a little more booze, and we're done." <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, uh,
2: favorite vacation. I mean, I go to I, I I I've gone to Italy a lot. You know, the the vacation that is renting a villa in Italy is a very satisfying vacation.
1: I like a Thanksgiving week because there are no American tourists there. And also because the flights are so cheap and so are the hotels Thanksgiving week from LA, you fly into London, you spend a couple nights in London and then you can fly or train to another part of Europe. So you could fly to Barcelona, you could fly to Paris, but I like a London Paris Thanksgiving trip because also the christmas lights are up ah so it's like you kind of get everything you get like the warm wine you know like there's all like the warm bed there's there's like the christmas fairs there's the warm beverages um that's it's it's not very crowded the weather's like chilly but not too cold so that is my that is my um travel hack and also my favorite trip God, now you're making me want to go away for Thanksgiving. Because fucking Thanksgiving is stupid. I mean, in my opinion, it's like stupid and it's a perfect time to go away. It's before, because yep. if you go away at Christmas, fucking New Year's, everything's jacked up, super high. Everything's super crowded. I hate feeling like I'm experiencing the most tourist version of a situation. Yep. That's like my least, my least favorite thing. Okay. And then the last question. What's your favorite thing you bought recently? You go first. I bought a vintage sapphire blue poncho. (laughs) It is ridiculous. It has a collar. It has fringe and it has a little button at the neck. And every time I put it on, I'm like, I don't know, man. And then every time I keep it on a little longer, I'm like, yes, it's like wearing a fucking blanket. It's kind of cool. It's really weird. It's very bright. It's very warm.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I haven't been buying a lot lately. I'm just thinking like, what are, I don't know. I don't know. I haven't bought much lately. I mean, I bought like a pair of jeans here, you know a top there. I do love this one top that I wear all the time. I guess maybe that's the thing I bought. It's it's from a company called Cali Dreaming. Mm-hmm. And they make this shirt called the Ace Shirt. And it's a perfect collarless button down. I'm wearing it now. Oh, yes. But, you love this shirt. I love the shirt. I have it in so many colors now. It looks good. Because you know, I'm not I'm not somebody who believes that you should necessarily buy something in another color if it looks good on you. Cause it may not look good in that color right. in the other color, but this shirt I truly have in like a million colors and it's good in all of them.
1: I also bought all of the products from our Gene godfrey june episode so i bought the skin food i bought the uh bobby brown the jo- the jones road the mascara and the miracle Bomb. and um i already had the vitamin c powder and i've been very happy with those purchases oh shit and i bought a shampoo for thinning hair which i'm really well liking oh my god i have to look it up okay we'll put it in the show notes it's an all natural one so it's not like chemically but it's actually i think helping Wow. My hair's still thin, but it looks fuller. Well, that's, that's a lot. It's a lot. And I, I think it's really working. We'll put it in the show notes. I like did all this research on uh, shampoos for thinning hair. And I think this one is actually working. I got it on Amazon, evil Amazon.
2: I know we were just talking about evil Amazon. I try to, I, I try, I actually use it a lot less than I used to. I, I, I use it too much, but anyway, that's not
1: a good, that's not a good, let's, the holiday season is upon us. Let's try to use less Amazon. That can be our gift to <laughs> our gift to each other. Exactly. And
2: happy Thanksgiving to all of our listeners. I hope you spend it with people you love and who agree with you politically.
1: I, <laughs> I hope that you have a lovely Thanksgiving. I hope you are grateful for all of the things in your life and we are grateful for you and grateful for this podcast. Thanks for listening to Everything is Fine on that note. We are your hosts. I'm Jen Romolini. And I'm Kim France. If you like the show, please rate and review it on the platforms. It really makes a difference. If you want to support the show and get access to exclusive content and bonus episodes, you can join our Patreon for a couple dollars a month. It's patreon.com backslash everythingisfine. You can find us on Instagram at EIF Podcast. We're on Twitter and we're on Facebook. You can email us everythingisfine, the podcast at Gmail, and you can find Kim on her blog, girlsofacertainage.com.